0: Good morning. My name is Nate. My Dharma name is Juan J. Sun, Ship of Deliverance. And at the moment I'm basking in the beauty of these flowers. The title of my talk is Reluctance to Teach. The passage is from the chapter on doctrine in the scripture of the Founding Master. The Founding Master said, in today's world, The further civilization advances externally, the deeper the source of illness becomes internally. So we will soon fall into a terminal state unless we do something about it. He then outlined six illnesses contributing to this terminal state. I'd like to focus on number five. Fifth is the illness of reluctance to teach. No matter how much knowledge one may have, if one does not know how to apply that knowledge or transmit it to the next generation, it would be no different than not having that knowledge. There are many people in the world who, if they gain a little knowledge, become conceited and arrogant and do not deign to associate with people of lesser knowledge. This is indeed a serious illness. There are so many ways to be busy these days, so many attractions, distractions, commitments, possessions that must be maintained or even just properly disposed of. I wonder if all this makes leading a contemplative life more difficult and less common. Who among us grew up with friends or had adults in our lives who were pursuing life from a contemplative perspective, someone who might have been a role model for us. Who was there pointing out that the happiness we desired would not be found in activities or accomplishments, relationships or possessions, but within? Soto-san anticipated the world making significant progress externally but less progress internally, creating an imbalance, which he said would lead to a terminal state, meaning, I believe, he saw that this imbalance between internal and external presented the greatest risk to society, saw that we will not have peace on earth until we are grounded in the peace within. But what really attracted me to this passage was the concept of reluctance to teach, because I've seen that in myself, and I wanted to better understand it. One place I find a measure of reluctance to teach is in giving these talks. Why is that, I wonder? Well, I find that they require a lot of work. But why does it feel like work? I love talking about Dharma, and I feel comfortable that I have something to say. I think it's because, along with the joy of exploration, I experience angst, which tells me my ego is in play. For example, my belief that it's essential to do a good job, which makes the stakes seem high, what I call my looking good conversation. I noticed self-doubt and uncertainty. What if people disagree or are bored? Through all this chatter, it gradually became clear that talking about reluctance to teach was primarily an exploration of ego, the beliefs I hold about who I am and all that I do to protect that self-image. What was seriously different and better this time from previous talks, was being aware of how harshly critical I was of the doubt and the anxiety itself, how harshly I judged myself for being anxious. It had never crossed my mind that judging my own anxiety as undesirable and a sign of weakness might not be necessary or even true. There have been some talks I've submitted in the past that could have been titled, Here's Something I Already Knew. Rather than lively, they felt intellectual and inert, I suspect because I had no skin in the game. So for me, this anxiety appears to be part of the creative process, like labor pains, bodily evidence of birthing something living, a stretching that signifies internal growth, creating more spaciousness within, more peace, more resources to share with others. This is not part of what I signed up for when I agreed to give a talk. I was truly stunned when I saw that all the procrastination and nervousness, far from being an affliction, arose from my deeper self to act on my behalf, anxiety as a sort of growth spurt. With the acceptance that this anxiety was beneficial, my self-judgments had nothing to hook onto and mostly fell away. And not, and not judging the anxiety as wrong made it so much easier to tolerate. After reluctance to teach, Soda-san mentions people who, having gained a little knowledge, become conceited and arrogant. Well, I think I've experienced that too. A couple of years ago in our weekly Dharma class, I was looking forward to the discussion on a particularly profound passage. I felt the first person to speak missed the mark, giving a concrete and superficial interpretation. I thought to myself, Maybe there's a teaching opportunity here. Maybe I could nudge the discussion toward the deeper truth. But before I could say anything, someone else elaborated on the first wrong interpretation, and then someone else, and then another, and I thought, oh no, there is no way I can salvage this now. As this was happening, I was becoming increasingly anxious. Fearing there was no way to set things right, I felt trapped and I became super anxious. My heart was pounding and I was shaking, almost like a panic attack. And that finally got me to stop and be still. The anxiety stayed with me for 45 minutes. I remained silent, focusing on my breathing, and allowed this fear to express itself as fully as possible doing nothing to alleviate it or distract myself. With about 10 minutes left in class, I could feel the layer of fear like heavy cloud cover starting to break up, allowing a little sunlight to shine through. Then, all of a sudden, the cloud cover disappeared completely and I was radiating joy. I felt as if I could float off my chair, I was so happy and I noticed, so was everyone else. Apparently, they had had a wonderful class. Through my silence, and not telling them how terribly wrong they were, they had had a wonderful class. We had all gotten just what we needed. As the cloud cover was breaking up, it dawned on me that my anxiety had nothing to do with the others being wrong which of course they weren't anyway, it was my commitment to the concept of rightness and wrongness that had created my anxiety. The belief that I existed inside a self that was either right or wrong, a self that could be harmed or benefited accordingly. In truth, the anxiety was not alerting me there was something wrong in the external world that needed to be addressed. It was telling me I was moving further from Presence, or Shared Being and into Separation, or Duality. And separation is painful. The big red blinking light called anxiety was not a call to action, it was a call to let go. Let go of arrogance, let go of being right, and come home to gratitude for my classmates come home to generosity, come home to peace. Soto-san said, in our arrogance and conceit, we do not deign to associate with people of lesser knowledge. Last week, Reverend Wangong told the story of the scholar who boasted of his knowledge to an elderly woman selling rice cakes. In response, she posed a question to him that blew his mind. Blew open the doors of his mind. I suspect if we're open to it, everyone we encounter, clerk or scholar, can be our teacher. And I suspect whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not, I am always sharing who I am with everyone I meet. In a sense, my level of understanding or where I'm standing on this path to wisdom is always being expressed as myself, expressed as who I am in that present moment. The principal book of Wan Buddhism, in Essential Cases for Questioning, says, I have a volume of scripture that is written without paper or ink. It does not contain a single word, yet always radiates light. I have a volume of scripture that is written without paper or ink. It does not contain a single word, yet always radiates light. What does this mean? I would say it means my essential self, which does not contain a single word, is a volume of scripture that always radiates light, which is wisdom. In the journey I began at this temple 8 years ago, I've discovered many hidden or unnoticed beliefs and expectations that have been constraining me, limiting the amount of light I radiated. Noticing and dissolving those beliefs and expectations is what I call the great unlearning. Releasing the fears and judgments which have inhibited the spontaneous and joyful expression of who I essentially am. The more layers of rust and rubble that get removed, the more brightly shines the wisdom inherent in my true nature. In the sense, one might say that I am, and we are, always teaching. Here's one hidden belief I discovered. Don't be a crybaby. <laughs> Recently, an acquaintance of mine was brought to tears because they were so frightened my travel plans would expose them to COVID. Initially, I felt I was being controlled by their irrational fear, and I became quite angry. But I did not realize how judgmental I had become until I heard the voice in my head say, What a a crybaby. That startled me. And I wondered, where did that come from? Why am I not feeling any compassion for my friend's suffering? With several days' reflection, what I found was long-forgotten childhood scoldings not to be a crybaby, and a long-standing lack of compassion for myself. After a lifetime of dismissing my own feelings, was it any wonder I would dismiss someone else's. From this place of self compassion, I saw that what was controlling me was not someone else's irrational fear, but my own. Grounded in this deeper wisdom, I believed I could now listen to my friends' concern in such a way that they could feel they had been heard, listening not with an agenda but with trust that from this gentler place, whatever decision arose would be guided by Spirit and would be best for everyone. Having spent days sitting with my own fear, allowing it to be fully expressed, perhaps now I could truly listen to my friend's fear, presumably also deep-seated and neglected, so it could be gently and lovingly met finally receiving the attention it so desperately needed and desired. Along with this sharing of my expanded capacity to listen, would I not be modeling, teaching, what is available to us when we have the courage to meet our fears, and giving them full expression so we can learn what they have come to tell us, showing by example what becomes available to us when we move from frightened judging into compassionate allowance. I suspect the best teaching occurs when both switches are open, not clamped down on what is already believed to be true. In this lively space, wisdom seems to arise spontaneously, not transmitted from one person to another, not superior to inferior, but co-created and inclusive. Two people getting out of their own way and letting the current flow. The Buddha in me meeting the Buddha in you. If you feel you've got something to say, and I'm sure you do, perhaps giving a talk is one way to take yourself to the next level. I can offer to take this walk with you. You are your wisest teacher. You are your most cherished pupil. Don't be afraid to take yourself on. Thank you.